This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. All right, good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? You love him? Big, big happy Father's Day to all the dads, but also to all the men in general. Just want to celebrate what God is doing in this generation of men. And, uh, and I can tell you, you know, the world may shut us down and say you're, you're, you, you can't express yourself as a guy, you can't be yourself. But when you come into the family of God, you're in a place where you're a son of God. And you can be who God has designed you to be. Can I get an amen to that? And so uh, I want to celebrate all of the guys today, whether you're a dad or not. Of all the titles I have, I think dad is my favorite and probably my top one, but it's going to get superseded by grandpa here as we move along. So I'm enjoying the journey um, with everyone. Today I want to give a big shout out to Elk River, Maple Grove, and Emmanuel at home, whether you're joining on your couch from the lake or in one of our sanctuaries, we're one family. Amen. And uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark this summer, and hopefully you've been reading along during the week. We're going chapter by chapter through the, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, this last week it's chapter 5 and 6. I'm not going to be able to cover all of those chapters today, but we're going to dive in. And of course, we've been looking at Jesus is on the move in the Gospel according to Mark. Now, Mark tells the story of Jesus a little different than Matthew and Luke and John, and each of them have a purpose. Again, we talked about part of the purpose of Mark was to tell the story to groups of people that were outside of the Jewish homeland in Israel. So it was to the Romans, it was to Greeks, it was to people that didn't know, and they've seen other gods and they've seen stationary gods, but Jesus is a God that we see is on the move. He's moving from town to town. He's reaching people. He's consistently active. And then, of course, he calls us to come and follow him, as we talked about last week. And then when you come and follow Jesus, he also tells you to go. Everybody say go. Meaning we have a responsibility also to live out this walk. If we're going to follow Jesus, he's not just going to save us from our sins, so we got our ticket to heaven and it's all over. No, you have a purpose for your future and the story that God has for you. Today, the title of my message is Shift into Faith. We're looking at Mark 5 and 6. I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 5. In fact, if you have your Bibles, just hold them up right now. I want to see if you got them, whether they're the electronic or the paper version. Wave them in the air like you just don't care. There you go. But go ahead and put it down. I, I would hope that as we walk through these series and we preach on Sunday, that you're actually able to read the text, not just on the screen, but potentially right in front of you. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, I'm going to get to this part of the story because this will be the main part of the text today for my message, but I want you to understand how we got to this point in chapter 5 because at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus walks up to a man, actually pursues a person 
who is chained up, broke the chains, he's filled with demons, and he's living essentially in the cemetery. And this man that Jesus had walked up to had been on a dark, dark journey throughout his entire life. What I love about what Mark shows in Jesus is Jesus isn't just satisfied with talking to people who are in the synagogue or in the church, but he cares about the furthest most person away from him. This person had been ostracized from the town. He had been, he had been uh, in his own demonic world and in the darkness. And Jesus is not satisfied with just speaking to the crowds, but he notices the one that's away from the crowds. And even on a Sunday like this, I wanna give you good, good news. Jesus still cares about people that are joining us online and you think nobody knows where you are. Jesus cares about you. He cares about you if you came to church today and you're like, I don't know why I'm here. I just got here. Somebody drugged me to church. I don't know what it, maybe you came because your dad wanted you to come or whatever it may be and you wanted to honor your father. But I'll tell you this, Jesus notices you. And the good news is this, the person who is the farthest away from God is still a candidate to experience the refreshing touch of God. Can I get an amen to that? Not only does Jesus set this guy free, he had so many demons in him that called himself Legion. And uh, Jesus has command and authority over those demons and they were thrown out of the man into a pack of pigs who went and drowned themselves in the lake. Then Jesus gives an instruction to this guy and he says this, he says, I want you to go and tell your family about what just happened. I want you to testify about it. There's an important step in our journey of faith that all of us need to take and we need to repeat it in our stories. And that is not only do we receive the goodness and the grace of Jesus, but we also need to tell others about it. It's called our testimony. And when we speak the testimony, something powerful happens. As Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. This is powerful. When we speak that testimony, people's lives are changed. You see, people are observing us just like they did this man who was bound with demons and had chains that were broken around him and living in the, in the, amongst the, the cemetery, amongst the dead, amongst darkness, amongst doom and gloom. And the people that are observing him, including his family, were able to see there was a difference before and after Jesus. And when he speaks it out later on, it shuts the door to him returning to what had bound him before. When you testify, it closes the door to you walking back into your past. There's a victory that you get when you declare what Jesus has done. And even if it's years later, you can declare, no, I know Jesus set me free. I know he healed my body. I know I once was lost, but now I'm found. And when you declare it out loud, you declare God's present tense victory in your life. And Jesus does not want us to remain victims to our past. He wants to give us a future. Can I get an amen to that? That's how Jesus walked. So when Jesus is doing something like this at the first part of, of Mark chapter five, it draws a crowd because people are hungry for something that is real. There's plenty of TED Talks out there. There's plenty of crowd stuff. There's plenty of superstars out there that people can go watch. But what really gets your neighbor's attention who's not in church is when they see you transformed.
That's what draws the crowd, is when the living gospel is lived out through your life. It's not just because Pastor Nate preached a good message on Sunday morning. It's because you lived out the message on Monday morning. Come on, somebody. It's when it's lived out through you. So there's crowds draws around him. He goes to the other side of this lake, and he's trying to get away, and the crowd finds him there. And in the middle of a crowd, a leader from a local synagogue named Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, and he pleads with Jesus for his daughter. Look at verse 23. It says, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her, Heal her so she can live. Heal her so she can live. This daddy gets down on his knees and pleads for his daughter. You know, I think that this father represents every parent. Every one of us have desires for our children. Every person here, your parents had desires for you. Some of you, your parents are with Jesus right now. And the prayers that they prayed for you are still being answered in your life today. That's powerful, right? There's something about the heritage that can be passed to us. And those of you that maybe you did not have Christian parents or people that prayed for you, because you're a part of the family of God, you are an heir of the promises of the family of God, and somebody is praying for you somewhere, all right? But here's this father, and this father, he's been consistent, he's a leader in the synagogue, he's a faithful person, And now his daughter is dying. He is desperate. And when you're desperate and you worry about your children, you'll do anything for your kids. On the extreme end, it's the death that you're worried about. But I I think it also plays out today in how we're raising our kids and how there's this extreme pressure to have kids have the perfect experiences. Parents today, they're challenged and almost expected to put their kids in every sport, every lesson, every epic experience, and then they're supposed to put it out on Instagram to prove that they're a good parent. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, if I don't get them in this, they're not going to make it when they're in high school, and they'll never get on the team, and, and they've got all this pressure, all because of that care, same kind of care that Jarius had for his daughter. But let me tell you this, all of the chasing that you're gonna do isn't gonna give your kids what Jesus can give them. Only Jesus can give you what you need. And Jarius recognizes this and he goes to Jesus. He wants his child to live. And then on the way, Jesus agrees. He's gonna go to Jarius' house. And on the way to Jarius' house, there's an interruption of a woman in the crowd that does something that causes Jesus to stop. Look at verse 27. On the way to Jairus' house, he hears, hears this woman, or touched him, he felt something happen. It says, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed 
of her terrible condition. What was her terrible condition? Well, the text says that she had a problem with bleeding. She could not stop the bleeding. And she had had it for 12 years. She had been on a desperate pursuit to try to fix the issue. She spent all of her money to fix the issue. It was the dominant thing in her entire life. And she had gone to doctors, and the doctors of that age were giving her solutions that actually hurt her worse. She was wounded physically, but she was also probably wounded psychologically. She could not trust anyone. And she was at the end of her rope. And so she decides, I'm going to try one more thing. Here's this guy coming through the crowd named Jesus, and I feel like if I could just touch his robe, then maybe I'll be healed. This woman, by the way, in that day and age, women were not of the privileged class. Jairus might be considered to be privileged because he was actually a leader in the house, in the synagogue. He might have had access of a way to get to Jesus. But this woman had no access. She was a female, and she wasn't able to get there. On top of that, she was somewhat ashamed of what she's gone through. And that, all those objections and those obstacles did not stop her from reaching out to touch Jesus. I want you to catch this. Because the reality is that we all have our own objections to why Jesus would not touch us. That maybe he'll go through a crowd and he's more likely to spend his time on somebody else. You might look across a room like you're in right now and think that person over there, they've been here for 20 years, they must be super spiritual, God, God must wanna answer their prayers. And all I wanna say to you is this, even if you don't have a religious background, even if you don't know all the rules and the do's and the don'ts, and even if you haven't given in an offering, you don't have to give in an offering to get what Jesus gives you. Even if you got all of those objections today, could you just reach out and touch Jesus? Just possibly, Jesus would touch you today. Through past all of your objections, and of course, Jesus felt it, and she's healed, and it says in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. Woo! Yeah, but just if you would imagine the moment, if you're that woman, 12 years, you're like, what do I do to tomorrow? What do I do with my friendships? The things I can do now because of what Jesus has done in me. So powerful. And then on the way to Jerry's house, it looks like this interruption has a consequence. So meanwhile, Jesus touches this woman, or she touched him, and she was healed. And there's a consequence to Jairus. Look at it. While he was still speaking to her, Jesus, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus and the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So this great miracle that we just talked about with this woman was so amazing, but it cost Jairus his daughter's life. And the news reaches Jairus, 
They're having a conversation. Jesus is here. Jairus and the messengers are over here. And the messengers are saying, hey, no use chasing Jesus anymore. No use giving him. It's all over. And one of the things that I love the most about these kind of stories is I can imagine myself being in a context where it seems like God is answering somebody else's prayer while mine goes unanswered. Ever been there? Somebody else got a miracle. Somebody else got a spouse. Somebody else got pregnant. Somebody else got whatever it may be. And it can feel like you're overlooked and it's too late. And then the whispers start coming in your thoughts and in your ears and in your heart. And the message is it's all over. But look at verse 36. It says, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. I love the first part of this verse. It said, Jesus overheard them. So Jesus is over here. The conversation's happening over there. And Jesus heard the conversation. Did you know that Jesus hears your conversations during the week? That he's heard the conversations going on? He heard that four-letter swear word that you did last night. (laughs) He overhears. More importantly, he overhears what we're hearing from others. The voices of our life that dominate our optimism or our faith or our strength, our courage, that sometimes get sapped because we got this voice in our ear. You know the voice of somebody that when you were younger, maybe it was a parent or a friend or somebody that rejected you and they spoke words into your life that just said, Uh, you're a loser, or you're not gonna amount to anything, or your failure cancels you out from ever having a future. And those voices are in your head, and you know when those voices show up when we're in a tough time, in a tough moment like Jarius is in? You're at the bottom, it's like the book of Job right in front of us. And you're at the bottom, and you're like, how can I move forward, I've just heard bad news. And somebody begins to say, you might as well quit. See, this is just proof that God's not on your side. And those voices go on inside. And I want you to know that Jesus hears those voices. The scripture says he overheard what was going on in there and then he makes a statement because Jesus' words are more powerful than the words of the accuser. Think about that. When God speaks, worlds are created. Things change. He's more powerful than nature. He silences the storm. In Genesis, when he speaks, he says, let there be light, and there was light. So in the moment of your lowest valley, when the voices are speaking, you have a choice of which voice you're going to listen to. You can listen to the voice that will shut you down, or you can listen to the voice of a creator who can create a new tomorrow for you. Come on, somebody. You have that choice. So what did Jesus say to Jairus? He said, don't be afraid, just have faith. Say that with me. Don't be afraid, just have faith. It's a statement, don't be, it's a command. You can't do this. And there's an alternative, have faith. This is a shifting of the moment. What are you going to lean into when you're in those moments about uh, what's just happened to you, the experience, the emotion that's happening to you, and it requires you to shift your weight. 
I have on here the platform, a boxing bag here, um, the kickboxing bag. Jody and I, many of you may know that a couple years ago we, we got involved with Pharaoh's kickboxing in Blaine. Shout out to Cindy, she's pretty awesome. And the whole team there, and we started this workout regimen that we go through, and, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's been real foundation, it's really helped me. I've, I work out all the time, I'm, I'm healthy. The only problem I have is the nutrition side. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I like to say I'm like an accordion. I go in and I go out. I go in and I go out. I keep working out. It's about the eating. <laughs> so anyways, the first week that, uh, that we went in, you know, there's a 10-week session. And you start off, you, you're going to do things that you've never done before in your life. So you're, you're you know, you're, you're hitting bags and, and you're kicking and, and you're like, he really is gonna hit this thing. Yeah, I will. But one of the things that we had to learn to do is to kick a certain way. So if I'm gonna kick without throwing my hips out or falling to the ground, then I had to learn to shift my weight, turn my feet, shift my weight, and kick the bag, okay? I had to learn how to do that. Now, the first week, we were wiped out in the warm-up, five-minute warm-up. <laughs> it was overwhelming, we couldn't do it, it just, but repetition helped us get better at it, and repetition also helped us not have to think about it. When you start off, you have to think, overthink it sometimes. You're watching other people, and you have to get into it. It's just like faith. So Jesus says, just have faith. Some of you that hear that word, you're like, that's overwhelming, Pastor Nate. You seem like you have faith, but I'm in a space where I don't even understand it. This is what I want to say to you. Having faith is like me going to Pharaoh's kickboxing. It means that you gotta learn to have faith. You'll learn and you gotta keep having those reps. And then you have to learn different kicks at different times, applying faith in a different way. There's, I did a front kick, you can do a back kick. That means you gotta shift your weight here, here, and when I swing my leg around here, I gotta turn my foot there, and then I gotta swing it around and I gotta go like that, okay? And when I do that, when I do it now, if I did that to one of you, it would hurt you, okay? It would. I promise you it hurts you. But the first time I did that, it wouldn't. I would have been the one that got hurt. So when it comes to faith, you have to exercise your faith. You have to use it in everyday life. You're gonna have opportunities for faith. So you got opportunity fear or faith. Are you gonna shift your weight into faith? Or are you gonna shift your way into fear in the moment? It's your choice. And basically, Jesus is saying to Jairus, in this moment, you've got a choice. And some of you are like, I don't even know how to start. Start watching some of the believers in the family of God. There's other people that are part of the church, this is why you're part of the family, that have gone through some stuff. And you want the kind of faith they've got? Watch what they do. Get in a relationship, pick their brain, take them out for lunch later on, whatever it may be. You can learn from other believers in the body and exercise your faith. Let me give you three ways to shift your weight from fear into faith. To shift your weight from fear into faith. Number one, take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. This is what Jesus was saying to Jairus. You got to, you got to, Choose faith over fear is what he's really saying. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is speaking. He's talking to the church and he says, the weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive thoughts. In other words, as Paul is saying, you can learn how to deal with what goes on up here. Fear, an acronym for that is false evidence appearing real. So if you're going to see fear in some of your voices of your past, echo that and that's what you anticipate. And you anticipate the fear as if it were real, your body responds as if it were real. That's why anxiety settles in sometimes and you're facing a difficult thing and you begin to sweat, your heart begins to pound. It's as if it were real even though it's not. So you and I have to learn to, that the, the feelings that we have, and they're real, and acknowledge them. What if this happens? What's gonna happen to my kid? And what are we gonna do with the bills? And what about, what about my body? And, and the doctor report that I just got? Or what are, whatever things that are going through your mind, they begin to race like a, a pack of wild dogs in your head. And you're like, I don't know what to do at this moment, but it seems so real. Paul is saying what you do is you go and you snatch the dog and you take it captive and bring it to Jesus. In other words, you don't ignore the dog. You take captive the dog. You take captive the thought. You acknowledge it's there. I'm feeling something right now. It's from my past. Something's going on in my story. The enemy is trying to intimidate me, a la David and Goliath. But in that moment, instead of letting that rule your brain, you declare in the moment, I'm gonna take this thing captive. Snatching the runaway thought and bringing it to Jesus. No matter what you feel or fear, it's bringing every thought to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, we all have different families of origin and we have different stories. Even in our marriage, Jody and I, we handle life and interpret experiences very differently. Same thing going on, but we feel different things. Our thought processes are different. Our family of origin taught us how to, to interpret what was going on. Are we gonna be full of faith or are we gonna be full of fear? But I will tell you this, both of us have to learn to lean into faith instead of fear at that moment. To lean into faith might mean I declaring to the Lord, Lord, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my child. I don't know what they're doing. And by the way, if you haven't had teenagers yet, you're gonna have these moments. When they're young, you can control everything. Parents, you can't control your kids forever. There is a moment at which your fear actually shuts your kids down and pushes them out. So you can take your thoughts when you don't know what's going on and bring them before the throne. Even though I feel this, I turn it over to you, Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? We need to stop fighting with the weapons of the world and have divine power to demolish strongholds in Jesus' name and fight his way. Secondly, turn your attention forward. There's a shifting of your orientation from the past 
to the future. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Jarius had to learn in this moment, and he's hearing from Jesus, have faith. Faith means you need to look beyond the moment and what you've just heard and see something different. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It's an orientation to the next thing. The past has memories of failure and disappointment and fear, and rehearsing what failed in your past will keep you from shifting your weight into the future. I want you to consider what words come out of your mouth, because words will reveal what you're leaning into in the moment. Some of us need to change the way we talk. Instead of rehearsing fear, what if we started speaking out in faith? What if we begin to declare, I don't know how to get through this, but my God is able to do above and beyond anything I think, ask, or imagine. To be able to communicate in that moment. It's not fake, it's very real. It's a conscious decision to think forward. Now listen, I've said this over the years, that um, being young or old is not a matter of your chronological age. And I'm believing that more now than ever. Two weeks from now, I turn 50. And I'm like, oh Jesus, right? But I've always said this, and I borrowed this from Dr. Anderson, my mentor, that being young is not a matter of chronological age. I've seen young people who are more excited about the past and the people in their past, and they're old in spirit. And I've seen 80-year-olds that are excited about the people and the events in their future who are young. So being a person of faith is about being excited about the future, not just stuck in the past. There is a tomorrow for you. There is something new in your story when you follow Jesus. Can I get an amen? And to lean into faith in the future, you lean into the absolute trust that Jesus will work it out even if you can't see it. Paul says it in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm gonna ask Micah to come up. He's gonna share his story to consider God works things together. The things themselves aren't of God, but he knows how to take even the worst things and turn it into an amazing story. Micah, I want you to share with this church, your church, just your story and how God wove everything together. My name's Micah, and I was born in South Korea. I was born to a mother that was around 14 years old. So as you can imagine at that age, she wasn't prepared to be a mom. I was eventually adopted to a family here in Minnesota, and this family was an amazing family. They truly loved me, and I guess I always had goals. One of my goals was to play Major League Baseball. I didn't realize that dream, that goal, would eventually go away once I started using drugs. The first couple years of my life, I didn't see myself as different. It wasn't until one day I was in kindergarten, and I remember waiting for my mom to pick me up. And I was watching the other kid's parents come, and I thought, man, he looks like his dad. She looks like her mom. They look like a family. And then I remember as my mom walked in. As she was walking towards me, I thought, I don't belong, 
I don't deserve to be a part of her family. I also felt like I didn't deserve to be loved. That was the first time that I felt rejection. I'd feel this almost every single day. When I go to family holidays, I'd see my cousins there, and I felt like they belong. As I got older, I started hanging out with older friends. Those friends were introducing me to things like cigarettes, weed, and eventually the harder drugs. Methamphetamine became my drug of choice. When I was 17, I found out that I was gonna be a dad. I wasn't prepared to be a dad. My daughter's mom wasn't prepared to be a mom. So she moved to Canada where her mom lived. After I turned 18, I moved there too. But when I got up there, I was scared. I was scared of everything. I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't even know how to be an adult, so I ran. I told my daughter's mom I had a job waiting for me here in Minnesota. And when I got back, I went back to using drugs. I started selling them, and one day, I committed a crime. I ran from the police because I got pulled over. Because of that charge, I was no longer allowed to go to Canada. After that, I became more depressed, and my crimes became more severe. I got to the point at one part of my life that I was in a mess psychosis. I literally lost my mind. I felt like everything was out to get me. And I decided that I was gonna commit suicide. I was driving down Highway 62, and I found a bridge. I said, this is the bridge that I'm gonna crash into. Shortly after that, I went to Teen Challenge. In that program, I started to work on things, but I truly wasn't to the point of believing in God yet. I got in a little bit of trouble along the way, and 28 days from graduation, I ended up getting a five-month setback. That day, we went to church. At this church, there was always this family to the right, and they were there because there was a sign language person, so they were deaf. And while I was in the program, I'd asked my chaplains two different questions. How do you pray, and how do you hear God's voice? He told me, God just wants to have a conversation with us. And hearing his voice, I can't tell you how he's gonna speak to you, but you'll know it's from him. Pastor came up, we prayed for the cards, and then he said, if you see someone with their hand raised, go pray for them. In 10 seconds, these are all the thoughts that went through my head. You should go ask them if they need some prayer. You don't know how to pray. You should go ask them if they need some prayer. They're deaf, they're not gonna know what you're saying. And the third time, I just walked over and I said, and the lady shook her head and I said, God, I don't know what's going on in their life, or my life, but for some reason I feel like this family needs something from you. Can you show them the love that you showed me in this last year at Teen Challenge? I said amen, tears were coming down her face and she looked at me and she said, what's your name? And I was like, holy buckets, she's not even deaf. Then I went back to my chair and the band came back up and they played a song called Do It Again by Elevation Worship. In that song, it talks about God moving mountains. I closed my eyes and I pictured all my mountains, not seeing my daughter, listening to what society told me. You're a criminal, you're a drug addict, you'll never change. And I pictured how in the last year, all those things were moving. After the service, I told one of the recovery coaches what had happened and he said, are you ready? And I said, I think I am. So I prayed a little short prayer. I said, God, I'm sorry for running from you. I'm sorry for not trusting you. 
Today I learned what faith is. I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins. He went to heaven, and because of that, one day I will too. After that, I started praying for my daughter. A couple months ago, she started posting Bible verses. And about a month ago, she wrote me a message. Dad, what do you believe about salvation? So I got to share with her that I believe God sent his son to die for my sins. He rose to heaven, and one day, I'll go there too. I also am led by the Holy Spirit. And she said, I believe that too. So my fears that I had for the last 15 years of never seeing my daughter, they've been answered because even though I may not see her down here, I'll get to see her in heaven one day. Pastor Nate's gonna give you an opportunity later. And if you feel it in your heart that you wanna give God a chance, raise your hand high, be proud, because this moment will change your life forever. I also wanna say one more thing. My dad's here, and my mom. Thank you guys for your prayers. Thank you. And the cool part for me, when I first heard Micah's testimony, he was sharing it in another context, and he shared the, the, the current picture He's gone through growth track, become a member of Emmanuel. He's a part of this family at our church today. And God's not done in our story. I believe that the faith journey you're on is a good representation of one that we're all on. And that is we're gonna fall down, but we gotta choose to get back up again. And not choose fear, but choose faith. And if we do, then God has a way of weaving together all the various parts of our story and turning it out to the good. Would you give it up for Micah? What a great story. What a great, great, great story. Ways to shift into faith. The final and third one is this. Let Jesus take it from here. Let Jesus take it from here. Jairus has heard the bad news. Jesus tells him to not fear and to have, just have faith. And then in verse 37, it says this, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw such commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But then he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. See, there is a moment at which when Jesus speaks, we need to choose his voice over other voices. And then we need to invite him into our issues to take captive our thoughts. We need to lean into the promise that he has for the future 
but then we need to let go, to not let anything stop us. In this story, Jesus had to shut the mouths of the crowd that was laughing at what was happening. Sometimes we need to leave some of the people we've been around that aren't gonna take us to the miracle that Jesus gives us. I've always said that friends are like elevators. They can take you up or they can take you down. Sometimes if you wanna get closer to Jesus and to have faith, you might need to leave some people for a while. You might need to shut down the voices in your life that are stopping you. And by the way, if you're married, I'm not saying you need to leave your marriage. I am saying you need to lean into Jesus and you need to come and get close to him and then you need to let go and let him take it from here. This would be true of any challenge that you face in life, any kind of uncertainty about the future, anything that might be at the back of your brain that you wrestle with at night and can't sleep about, that when you ultimately take it before the Lord and leave it there, guess what happens? Not only does he take it from here and, he, and heal or change the situation, but he gives you a deposit of his peace that bypasses your understanding and it guards your heart and your mind. There's a capacity when we turn our lives over to him that Jesus can do anything. Would you stand with me today, each of our locations? I wanna give you this sense of hope that anyone can shift into faith today. From wherever you are, Jesus will answer your prayer. But I especially wanna speak to those who are away from God. And I don't know your story, and I don't know how far away. Maybe you're as far away as this demon-possessed man that was in the cemetery. Or maybe you're like the woman who has a private issue that's been pursuing solutions and other things. Or perhaps you're like Jarius, that your greatest concern has been people around you, and there's nothing left for you to do. But if you're away from God, you have no hope. And today, you have the opportunity for Jesus to step into your story if you let him. Would you close your eyes wherever you are? Nobody looking around. I wanna ask a question. Are you one of those people that today you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, or I need to come back to him. I need to put my faith, lean out of instead of fear and into faith instead. I need to trust him with my life. And if that's you today, no matter what your story is, you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to him, I wanna pray with you. If that's you, just put your hand up and say, that's me. Wherever you are, yes, 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 yes. Some people raise their hands higher than others. Some people just get them up real quick, but I, I, I saw the hands. I saw 15 different people just raise their hand. 16, 17, 18. People are coming to Jesus, and listen, you can trust in Him. You can trust in Him today. You can trust in Him. I wanna lead you in a prayer if you've raised your hand, whether you're at home and you're indicating it online or you're in one of our locations. I wanna lead you in this prayer. And uh, you pray it out loud, and I believe that Jesus will hear you, and he will make you new. Lean into him by faith. Just pray these words out loud. I'll give you words to pray, but mean it from your heart. And everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross. 
for my sin. Then you rose from the dead, and I know you're alive. Today, would you forgive me of my sin and make me new? I believe that you are alive, and I choose to put my faith in you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.